Good afternoon, Mr. UK Tech 100. I saw on Twitter that you are the 67th coolest UK tech person. Is that is that what I'm supposed to take away from this article that mentions you in Business Insider? Yes, 67 is the coolest number. What is this? What is this thing? As of right now, I'm not 100% sure. Um, mm. I know I received an invite to a party which I'm going to this evening. That Business Insider are hosting a, a VIP party, I might add. Oh my, you're a VIP, huh? For the uh, top 100 coolest people in technology. But I didn't know if I was going to be on this list that they were talking about. And then this morning, it just popped up. And I am apparently the bearded British man. I'm making light of this. But I have to say, real talk for a moment, I'm incredibly proud of myself. I'm very feeling very happy today. You have been recognized for your hard work. That's what yeah. this is, Mike. Let's see, what what do they say about you? Oh, they literally do say the bearded and British yeah. Mike Hurley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's me. Co-founders and host of Relay FM Podcast Network, launched in 2014, Focus on Technology, with podcasts featured by Apple. It's a good picture of you there, Mike. Yeah, it's on our about page. Uh, they cropped Steven out. I was going to say, is that Steven's shoulder on that, <laughs> I on think that so. picture? I think so. <laughs> they could have cropped it a little more to not make it so obvious. Well, they could have got any photo of me, really. Like, mm-hmm. there are many photos of just me. I don't know why they felt like they needed that one, but they mm-hmm. did. You getting ready for this party, though? Are you all, you all prepared? Do you, need to, do you need to go soon while we're recording this? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be recording on the road today. Okay. Uh, no, I uh, I did go and get my hipster trim today. I've had my beard and uh, my hair cut by by my friend. Oh, is this is this that uh, that fancy place that you go to for your beard massage or whatever? My beard massage. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> I don't know how you maintain these things. There is a little bit of massaging going on. I have to, I must oh, okay. Admit. So I'm not wrong then. <laughs> She's like, oh, beard massage. What a ridiculous notion. Actually, they did massage my beard. Right. That's that's what I'm just hearing from you. It, it kind of puts this like beard moisturizer and he massages it into my face when he's done yeah that's i'm gonna call that a beard massage mike i don't think you can get around that at first i was like (laughs) i i refute this claim and then like rolled back the the thoughts and i was like oh no he did do that that's how it ends so i'm currently in that state of when you get a haircut and your clothes are just stabbing you Mm -hmm. you know i mean i'm in that stage right now it's uncomfortable yep funnily enough wearing the nail and gear t-shirt Flying the flag. I like it. Yep. I actually have a flag as well. Perfect. This is great. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Welcome to the Hello Internet Nation. <laughs> yeah. Talking about nations, uh-huh. actually, you're back in this one after being away for a while. Uh, I am. I am. Again. Again. Yes. <laughs> Did you just you walk down to the train station and appeared in Amsterdam again? Is that what happened? Why is this? Well, I don't understand why this seems to like irritate you. <laughs> this whole thing is so strange to me. It's just so weird. So yeah, I have uh, relatively recently returned from a second trip in Amsterdam, a second working trip in Amsterdam, and. I feel like it was in the theme of the year of less. I went there. I did a lot of a lot of thinking. I did a lot of work, uh, and it, it was a very good experience for me. I like that the idea of the year of less uh, entails you going to another country and like shacking up in a hotel room. I assume for a few weeks. I feel like less would be, you know. A more minimal environment where you're just at home in an empty room or something, you know? No, okay, 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 okay. So listen. 
It's the year of less and more extravagance. <laughs> no, no. Okay, you, you, you're coming. You're coming at this. You're coming at this just the wrong way. Okay. So listen, I took this trip because it happened to work out that, given a couple of of scheduling things, I had like a week of no meetings or anything, and so I thought at the last moment again, uh, I was going to take this trip and do some work. But it is less, Mike, because. The reason I find this trip so beneficial is that it is a decision minimal environment. There's there's nothing to decide on on a trip like this. So I say it like I've done this a hundred times, but like really this is the second time I've done it. But you may you may hear from my voice that I'm thinking in the future that this is a thing that I might want to do again. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about your cycles that you mentioned last time. This has been on my mind a lot. I have a hard time figuring out how this exactly works in my schedule. But that that thing you said last time about having an on week and an off week, I keep thinking about that and how to do that on a on a broader scale. But so the hotel thing is the decisions are taken away from me. So I went to Amsterdam with this whole notion of like, there's very limited things here. I'm going to have the same foods every day. I'm not going sightseeing or anything. I'm just going to have the same routine. Everything is going to be super simple. And then plus, since it is a hotel... There are many things like I have none of the concerns of a normal house, right? I don't have to take out the garbage. I don't have to do any of this other stuff. And also because I am going on my own, it's like there's not another person that I'm thinking, ooh, when are they coming home? There's no external concerns here. Decisions are very few. And it has put me in a very focused mindset. And I fell into a really great routine while I was there that I have been attempting to continue to follow since I have been back. So it has been, it's a great experience, but it is less, Mike. Even though I'm going somewhere else, it's definitely less. I want to come back to that routine that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But before, why Amsterdam again, though? Like, you could do this in London or somewhere else in the UK. Like, what took you there again? Because last time, if I remember correctly... Amsterdam was a good location because you actually were meeting with some friends. Yeah, the, the the Amsterdam thing this time was mostly laziness because I decided again at the last moment that I was going to do this. And I didn't feel like trying to research a whole other environment, right? I knew that the place that I was going had the things that I wanted. It had minimally decorated rooms of which even the, the decorations that did exist, I put them all in the closet, much to the confusion of the hotel staff. And it had appropriate exercise facilities, and there was the ability to run nearby, and there were a couple of places in the hotel to work. So, like, it ticked all of the boxes for things that I was looking for in a place to work. And I didn't want to spend a whole afternoon, you know, trying to find a second new place. I thought, since I'm doing this at the last minute, let me just go to the guaranteed location. I've been thinking about this a lot, and it's 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 hard to it's hard to express, but I feel like I have gained this real feeling from doing this. It's it's actually kind of funny. My wife, when I came back, described it as though like, oh, you have been on the Gray Incorporated Company retreat. But it's just you. Like, there's nobody else. <laughs> but that this was the this was the equivalent thing. Because when I came back, I, I was talking with her about it a little bit. And 
I imagine like many annoying CEOs of large companies when they go away on retreats, they come back and they're like, oh, we have all these great ideas for how we want to change the way the company works, right? And all the employees are going, oh, God, oh, no. He's read some business book and he has a whole new idea about how things are going to happen. And I basically did that to myself with just myself uh, while it was in Amsterdam. Thinking about it this morning, probably the thing I can say the most clearly is in this theme of year of less brackets me when i went here to work and when i established this routine and when there were no decisions to make about what was going to happen it almost brings into very sharp focus how limited amount of time you have to accomplish the number of things you want to do so it's not necessarily that like the day itself is limited, but if I look at the list of all of the projects or all of the things that I want to work on, there are more things on that list than I could reasonably accomplish in an entire lifetime, right? If we are in the David Allen parlance looking at a someday maybe list of all of the potential projects that I might want to do or work on, it's like, oh, okay, there's several human lifetimes of stuff in here. Like there isn't just enough time for anyone to actually do everything that they want. And I don't know, I think sometimes being busy with a lot of the little day-to-day -day stuff of life can kind of hide that. I don't know, I feel like busyness is this, this feeling that you can get wrapped up in that distracts you from how much you are actually accomplishing and, and getting done. Whereas when I was there at the hotel and thinking like, okay, I am every day at this time just going to write for a certain number of hours and there's no decisions about this, like this is just what's going to happen. It makes it really clear that like, okay, if you are working on the things that are most important to you and then that already takes up half of the day, like at best you have another half of the day to do other stuff. So like, what are the things that it's going to fill the rest of that time? Somehow it just, it made me much more aware of the limited time and energy in a way that is not so obvious always in a, in a busy, normal, daily life situation. What I'm thinking about is not even so much all of the things that I would like to do forever, mm -hmm. but sometimes just like all of the things I need to do today. Mm -hmm. And quite a lot of the time I don't have the time to do them because of the things that occur in my life that I want to do that aren't work. Right. So for example, when Adina comes home and we cook together, we eat, we talk, and we watch TV shows or movies, mm -hmm. they're all things that I really want to do. But if we, I didn't do those things, I would have more time to get more work done. Mm -hmm. So... If I had a really big project, and when I do have really big projects, we do skip those things. But I can kind of see the advantage of having a block of time where there are no distractions like that. Like I can, The more that you're talking about it, and even though it is still kind of a little bit crazy and ridiculous to me, I do start to see the benefit of completely uninterrupted, I can work for as long as I want time. There really is something that is fundamentally different about having big, 
uninterrupted blocks of time. Like even the most minor of, of things. So when I work at home, for example, my wife will go to work and then she comes back at some point later in the day. Her coming home is the world's most minor of interruptions. But there's something about when I am home and I'm working, there's an awareness of, oh, my wife is in the house. And then there's a feeling of, well, there's an obligation to spend time with her. Like, and I want to spend time with her. And now she's here. And that's a thing that we can definitely do. And then suddenly, like the whole work environment just shifts. Your brain is ever so slightly now debating between two things or having to resist doing the easier option if there's something that you need to finish working on. Whereas in this kind of constrained environment, it, like it's just me. There's, there's no one here to see. There's no one here to talk to. There's just me and either the work that I'm doing or the few books that I have brought with me that I want to read and focus on. And that's it. Like there is no other place for the brain to get distracted by. I think it's really important to point out, though, those distractions are extremely important that they should happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the idea of you deciding I'm going to move to Amsterdam <laughs> forever on my own because I can do work 24-7, that is not a healthy thing to do, right? Like, you, you agree with that? Yeah, like, yeah. They are distractions, yes, but they're worthwhile distractions. But there are times where it's good to just be able to focus completely on something. There's two clarifications that I want to bring up here, right? The, the first is that... If this podcast has not already made it clear, I will refer you to episode number one entitled, I Don't Really Like Work, and that I have no desire to move to Amsterdam permanently, leave all of the responsibilities of my life behind, and just work all day every day. Because I don't really like work. Right? It's, it's, I am not consumed by work in the way that I think someone like, he's always my go-to, but like some, someone like Richard Branson, I think, for example, is a person who is, I always say that he's like a broken person, but he's broken in a useful way in that that man gets his thrills out of starting new companies. He obviously can't not start new companies and always be doing business. Like that is his obsession, and that is why he's a billionaire with a billion companies, right? I'm not that kind of person. I have never been that kind of person. I have no aspirations to be that kind of person. I am much more interested in the idea of how do I get the maximum amount of result for the amount of time that I am putting in? And one of the things that also aligns with the year of less for me is really trying to be very aware of any kind of working time that is not maximally effective. And this is what I mean by a little bit like a like busyness is bad. It's very easy to be busy and feel like you're doing a whole bunch of stuff, but not actually doing the things that are really important. And so so going to Amsterdam was not about, boy, I can't wait to work all day, every day. Because that it, like, that's not something that I necessarily find enjoyable. For me, it was about, I am deciding in advance 
that this is a place where I am going to be very focused for a finite amount of time on the things that are the most important. And so that's why when I was there, I was focused primarily on my health, actually, and then also on writing scripts, which is the most valuable thing that I can do in terms of my business. And if I wasn't either exercising or writing, I was reading a few books that I thought would be helpful in thinking about like the direction of things for the next year and about business and and the rest of it. So like those, those were the activities that I was focusing on primarily. And it, it's funny because, again, like when I think about my routine for the day and how things were going, at the end of every day, I felt just exhausted. I felt just completely drained from the result of, a, of like a full day of being mentally focused on just the things that are the most important. So a trip like this to me is valuable and possible. I think a key part of it is because there is a clear endpoint. Right, where it's like, I'm going to do this thing at maximum capacity for X number of days. And when you have something like that in your mind, it's much easier to stick with. But I think if I was if I was trying to work like that all of the time just in my normal life, I, I don't think that I could possibly do it. Like I think I would I would burn out uh very fast. Or just be too exhausted after after a certain point. Like you can't you can't live your life like a monk in a cabin in a city forever. Or at least I don't want to live my life like that. Business monk. Yeah, like a business monk. <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> do you not worry, though, that the more that you do this, the more that you may become dependent on it? Does that not concern you? Like, if you keep doing this, say you do this every couple of months, do you not worry that you might get in a situation where you can only fully focus when you're in these types of surroundings? It's funny. While I was actually there one of the books i was reading was talking about in one section just as a slight tangent like the incredible importance of working at hotels and working (laughs) at different environments i was like oh this is positively reinforcing uh they were describing uh it was i think it was jk rowling and talking about how she couldn't finish her last book and uh ended up ended up like booking the entire top floor of some hotel in glasgow and just working there to to finish the final Harry Potter book. That's too much. She didn't need the whole floor. <laughs> you know, the penthouse suite or whatever. The penthouse suite. Oh, okay. Right like at the top there always the that's the whole floor. She books out seven rooms. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally see that though, right? You don't want neighbors, not even in a hotel. Nobody wants sure. neighbors. I am not worried at all about this becoming a thing that is a necessity for me. Because I am viewing this as one of the the tools in my arsenal. And I really do mean like I have been trying to think a lot about trying to do this on some kind of regular schedule. And it just so happens that it's been about three months since the last time I went. So I'm thinking like, oh, maybe this is a thing that I can try to plan for to do like once a quarter. And maybe the idea of having that as a as a thing that I can anticipate and plan for, maybe this would work really well in in a schedule as as part of this idea. Like have a cycle to your work. Don't just have a constant uniform grind to what it is that you're doing. 
I think the only way you can save yourself from yourself is to put this in a schedule. Uh, I genuinely mean that as well. Like, I think if you don't plan this type of thing in, you you could end up in a situation where uh, you cannot work in London. <laughs> no, see, I think it's the exact reverse here, that if I don't put this in a schedule, it will be very difficult to actually make time for this. Like, again, this this trip just happened because a bunch of things in a particular week canceled, leaving me unexpectedly free. But that's not a normal situation. So I, I think it's it's actually the reverse. I need to plan for this to ensure that it does happen. Not, oh, if I don't plan for it, it will creep and take over my entire life. This episode of Cortex is brought to you by Hover. Quite simply, Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. It's my place of choice. I've used them for years. I have many dozen of domain names at Hover. So many, I don't even really want to count up how many it is. When it comes to buying a domain name, it's the first place I think of and the first website I go to. And I go there a lot because if you think of a good name, you want to grab it on the internet before someone else does. Hover makes it simple and easy and fast to grab the domain name you want. You don't want a thousand screens in your way. You don't want a bunch of checkboxes that you have to untick so that you're not opted into a bunch of crap that you don't want automatically. You just want it to be smooth and clean and clear, and that is what Hover is. They've got you covered with all of the basics, .com, .net, but they also have over 400 of the crazy options for all kinds of other stuff that you might want. And any domain you buy comes with who is privacy for free because Hover thinks that should just be part of the process. You shouldn't have to pay extra to keep your details private. They are super simple to use, but if you have any problems whatsoever, they also have fantastic customer support with a no-hold, no-wait, no-transfer telephone support policy. When you call Hover, you'll be talking to an actual human being. Unless, of course, if you don't want to talk to a human being, they also do have robotic communication. You can use their email support. They have many other options for you if you need help. But the thing that I recommend the most is if you already have domains somewhere else, be sure to use their valet service. They will move a domain out of your current troublesome registrar and into their system, no problems. Oh, and that valet service? It's totally free, no extra charge, whether you have 10 domains or 200 domains. They have just a ton more great features, but in addition, Hover has the best offer codes. This week, it's offer code PENCIL to use at checkout for 10% off your first purchase at Hover. Use Pencil for 10% off and to show your support for Cortex and all of Relay FM. Thanks to Hover for supporting the show. You mentioned a routine. Yeah. You doing email again? <laughs> uh, no, I have to. I'm, I'm still terrible at email. I'm still <laughs> absolutely terrible at email. Yeah, no, I, I, I had a good routine there. To describe a, a general day, it looked like that. So I... I got up at about six in the morning most days, and I went down to the restaurant and I got the same same breakfast every morning, right? Because it's it's no decision, so I would just get an omelet and I would get a coffee, and I would read for maybe half an hour while I was having breakfast, and then right after having breakfast, I went back up to the hotel room, and this was kind of the key thing was in the hotel room. I then had my um, my iPad Pro actually set up uh, sort of on a <laughs> this is on a chair on a desk in the hotel room so that it was at standing height, and I would 
write the scripts that I was currently working on for as long as I was able to do that. Like as long as I could stay focused on this script and still feel like I am making progress on it. And so th these were usually sessions that were like three or maybe four hours long, depending on the morning. And as always with the stuff, I look kind of like a crazy person because the most effective way for me to spend time writing is actually to be talking it out loud. So it was a lot of time of I'm standing up, I'm kind of pacing back and forth a little bit, <laughs> reading, reading it out loud or like trying out new sentences out loud and then adding them to the script if I like them or cutting stuff out. And so th that is without a doubt and also according to my spreadsheets the most effective way that i can spend my time right is bringing a script closer to completion and it is also the most focused and mentally draining of the time that i can spend and um i think in some ways this is this is similar to people who do computer programming that blocks of uninterrupted time where you can really get into the focus of it is incredibly valuable and difficult to replicate time. And just the simple knowledge that there was nothing else on my calendar for the rest of the day, like there was no podcast to record, there was no bank appointment to go to, there was no nothing it mentally changes the frame like it 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 feels like there is a relief like the brain can relax and say okay look if if we were here for 5 hours or 6 hours it wouldn't matter because there's nowhere to be like you can just focus on this thing until the point at which you are done and you don't have to worry about trying to shut stuff down before you're finished or not so that that part of the day like just that morning part was the absolute most valuable thing like getting up at a consistent time having as people know like I'm very sensitive to changes in the early morning schedule like if things don't go quite right in the morning it, it has bad knock-on effects for me but it's like nope this is going to work perfectly every time in this hotel because you're going to get up the restaurant's always going to be there there's always going to be nobody there because you're the only lunatic in the restaurant at six in the morning you're going to get the exact same omelet you're going to read for the same amount of time and then you're going to go up and you're going to be able to now focus on the writing in an environment where you're guaranteed not to be interrupted and you have nothing on the schedule later in the day. So that was the that was the morning part of it. When I was done writing, then that was where I changed and I focused on health. So then I would go to the gym or I would go for a run. So I was alternating that on either days. And at that point, like after going to the gym or going for a run, which always takes a surprisingly long amount of time. For some reason in my brain, I'm always thinking like, oh, exercising, it's going to take half an hour. But but the whole thing between like getting ready, actually exercising, and then coming back and, and taking a shower and changing, like I find that whole thing takes way longer than you always think it does. Or than you um, want it to. Yeah, that's exactly it. Maybe that's why it's like my brain is always like, ah, this will be 20 minutes. It's like, actually, it's like an hour and a half, buddy. Do you know this, right? Like this happens every day. Like, no, no, it'll be 20 minutes this time. No, I've got it, it down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it just it just never works out that way. Um, and so uh, at this point, having 
done the writing, mental exhaustion, and then exercise, physical exhaustion, I was a completely drained human being. It was just like, I can do nothing now. And so as I have learned, well, this is an excellent time to do the thing that I mentioned on an earlier podcast, which is the the coffee power nap thing, right? Where you have some caffeine right before taking a nap, which then allows you to sleep briefly, but wake up without any kind of sleep inertia. And then in the rest of the day, like afternoons are not super productive times for me, as I have mentioned, but then I would read for a large portion of the afternoon until there was an early dinner that I would have, always the same thing. There was one restaurant that I was either ordering a burger from or uh, this kind of chicken dinner from, alternating either days. So again, no decisions to be made there whatsoever. And then in the evenings, I often find that I have an additional burst of energy to work on things. And then I was working on just a bunch of projects that had been uh, causing me the most amount of stress related to my business. I finally finished a whole bunch of stuff related to taxes and like just a bunch of business nonsense that it's not super important in the same way that a video is, but it was important to get done because I had been aware that in the past few months it had been really dragging on my mind. So I was able to really kill a few projects while I was there that feel like they were mentally freeing to get done. And then, you know, after after that, maybe just read a little bit before bed and then fall asleep and do the whole thing again the next day. And it was glorious. It was absolutely glorious. Yeah. Knowing you as I know you, I can see why you loved that. It's also why, like, I didn't leave the hotel most days because there was no need to. As crazy as it sounds, there was no time to, right? Like, it really felt that way. Yeah, sure. Almost every day. Like, I, like... This is what I mean by there's this, this feeling of it highlights the year of less in a way that is hard to articulate. But it's like in some ways I was doing so little, but also never felt like the days were shorter. Like, how could I possibly do anything else? How could I have any other life outside of this? I know not. Like the, the day just flies by, even though it's like, OK, what have I done? I've done some writing. I've done some exercise. I've done some reading and I've done some administration. It's like four actual discrete tasks, but then the day is over and I'm exhausted. Why can't you replicate a lot of that at home? Because, Mike, life life intrudes in a way. Life, life finds a way, Greg. Yeah, life finds a way to annoy you. <laughs> and this kind of activity is an artificial holding at bay a bunch of things right like you can't actually live your life in this totally disconnected way and as as contrast because i had been holding a bunch of things back when i returned home everything was waiting for me Mm -hmm. and the very first day that i had back after this amsterdam trip was the exact opposite of this (laughs) it's like okay so i get up in the morning and my wife is awake as well and so she's getting ready for work and like we have this little morning routine like we're talking to each other and then so she goes off to work and i sit down and like okay gonna get gonna get right to writing now and not five minutes later like the front doorbell rings and there's a package from amazon it's like ah okay great thanks okay fine package from amazon like i sign for it i grab it i go back to sit down And literally not 10 minutes later, because I had to check my watch because I couldn't believe that it wasn't true, ding dong, the bell rings again, and there's a guy who needs to come and check the gas meter in the house. I was like, oh, okay, fine. Come in, check the gas meter. And he's like, oh, don't worry, I'll only be five minutes. Okay. 
But now there's someone in the house and like I can't be pacing around like a crazy person talking out loud and writing. And it's also just weird that someone's there. And of course, with these things, it's a creeping delay. And he's not there for five minutes. He's actually there for an hour and a half. Like, that's how long he was there for. What was he doing? There was something broken and something needed to be fixed. And then a second guy needed to come. And it's like... It, my perspective on it is like, I don't care what they were doing, right? It doesn't matter. They just needed to fix something in the house, but it just took forever. And then I had, <laughs> after that, there was uh, a phone call that I had to take, like a meeting that I had to take with someone. While I had to take that meeting, someone else came to the house who needed to repair a lock on the front door. So like I need, so now I'm like on the phone while someone's in the house repairing a lock on the front door. And the lock guy leaves because I was on the phone. I didn't have a chance to like check his work entirely and it didn't, wasn't fixed the first time. So like now I need to arrange for him to come back and do this other thing. And I forget what it was. There was some other thing that happened in the evening. And it was one of these days was like, I cannot believe this. This is the exact opposite of this experience. Like I have now come back. I have had an entire day that has felt really busy and draining, but over which I feel like I have accomplished literally nothing. It's like, okay. The gas that I thought was fine was fixed, but so from my perspective, like nothing has really changed. Uh, a dude came <laughs> and wanted to fix the lock, but didn't fix the lock. And then I, you know, it's just like I received some packages. It's like, okay, great packages. I, obviously, there's stuff in the house that I need these packages for. But when I'm in a hotel, like I don't need any of these things because it's all just taken care of. So this is what I mean. Like it's, a, it's an artificial environment that only works for a limited amount of time. Right. You, you have to come back to regular life and regular life just has all of these little intrusions that are that are frustrating. But the one thing that I have definitely taken away from this, the like the concrete thing that is going to be different is I am now looking for a dedicated office space in London. So I don't I don't yet know how practical this idea is i don't have a good understanding of the office space rental market around where mm -hmm. i am i don't know i'm just beginning to look into this but from this trip i was thinking about it afterwards and thinking okay what was the most valuable part the most valuable part was that initial writing and the thing that it depended on was a space that was my own that was private at which i will receive no interruptions and so i thought okay let me try to replicate this so what i'm going to try to do is just find an office that's like a room somewhere nearby that has a door that i can close so it's my own space and i can just go there first thing in the morning and not either try to stay at home but then be vaguely worried about just pointless interruptions which happen all the time especially when you live in a building where there's like 15 apartments and so anybody delivering packages all the time will just press all of the buttons so that someone answers which is hugely frustrating mm. so that's the idea like i'm going to see if i can replicate at least the most valuable part of that experience going forward in the future but i re i literally just have started this in the past couple of days so i don't have any idea if this is going to work out or how practical it is but i'm i'm hoping to take away this valuable part and reproduce it here so when you said that there was this part of me that was going to ask you that seriously was going to ask you oh that sounds interesting let me know if you needed a desk mate and then realized how that is like the complete opposite of what you want you would be the worst desk mate you'd be the worst you because just... i'd be so awesome no 
You'd be doing podcasting stuff. I wouldn't record from an office. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, I know you it can't doesn't. have a desk mate. I'm not. I'm not splitting the rent with you. This is the whole purpose of this thing. Exactly. That's why. That's why it's so ridiculous to have that idea. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is a good idea. I'll go in with you, and then realized how terrible that would be. Yeah. Maybe we just find somewhere with two rooms, and we just never talk to each other. No, I just don't take this the wrong way, Mike. But I don't want to be anywhere near you with my office. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's got to be separate this is the whole thing it has to be completely separate i keep my office away from you for those of the listeners who remembered me mentioning in the past that i do have a co-working space and, and wondering what the deal is going on this trip made me realize something that was obvious in retrospect but was not obvious until i had a break from it which is that over maybe the past six months in particular, my co-working space has gotten very popular. Like It is very busy, and I used to be very good at using it outside of normal business hours, using it in the evening when I could have it all to myself, or using it on the weekends when no one would come in, or sometimes using it very early in the morning. But I, I sort of didn't notice that over the last six months, there are always people there now. It doesn't matter what time I show up. It doesn't matter if it's on the weekend. And I'm always, I always have this thought, right, which is great, because I'll, I'll walk in and it'll be like 6 p.m. on a Sunday. And I'll think, OK, great. I'll have, I'll, let me go to this space and I'll have it to my own and I can, I can talk out loud. And I'll walk in and there'll be some people in there. And I'll, I'll always have the exact same thought, like... Who are these losers in this co-working space right now? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, like, Don't you have a life? <laughs> that is always my thought. Like, I know. What the hell are you guys doing here? I'm supposed to be the only loser who's here right now, but you're here. This ruins everything for me. But again, it's it sounds dumb, but something about like the slow increase of people being there over a long period of time made the change invisible. Yeah, yeah. Until I realized, like, oh, man, having a guaranteed private space that I can go to without interruption is invaluable. It's like, duh, man, duh. That's so obvious. But you don't notice things until you see, until there's, like, a change. And then you can reflect back on, like, what is different. So that that is uh, that has been extremely valuable for me. Yeah, if I was in the position location-wise to be able to rent, to rent uh, an office space like that, which I could set up equipment in and it could be all safe and it was within walking distance, I would have done that already. Mm-hmm. Continuing to work 100% at home, I don't think in the long term is going to be the best scenario for me. Yeah, so this actually this actually brings up another thing that has come to the front of my mind as a result of this trip, which is I have this clear feeling of location contamination and what i mean by this is i I, the longer i have been self-employed the more firmly i believe in this idea of like okay when you don't have clear constraints on your work it is very helpful to associate particular activities with particular routines or locations and so even within the hotel when i was in amsterdam i was very conscious of I am only on this side of the room when I'm talking out loud and doing the writing. And I'm only going to be at this table in this cafe downstairs when I am doing administration stuff to clear other projects. Like the only thing I'm doing in the gym is I am working out in the gym. I'm not 
lounging around. I was going to say, what else do you do in the gym? Uh, I'd take my laptop to the gym. <laughs> on the they have like they had like a spa section kind of thing, and I just thought like this is this feels like a weird contamination. Like they had a place where you could sit, you know, and I was like, no, I don't want to do this and listen to like Zen music or something. Like no, no, this is too. This is like the same routine and the same environment of like going into the gym and you know getting flip flops or whatever. I just feel like you have to keep things clear and and mixing stuff is bad and i don't know what episode it was on but on on one of the earlier episodes of cortex i I made a comment and it's like okay now i understand why but i i said that i have found that my home office even though i am super thrilled to have it is a place of of really low per hour productivity in many ways for me and i think i know why now and the reason is because I have, since I moved in here, done almost every single kind of activity in this room. Like, I will write scripts in this room. I will animate in this room. I'm recording a podcast right now in this room. I will edit a podcast in this room. I will also then do administration, like email work here. But like also, when I'm editing a podcast, I'll be playing a game at the same time in this room. It's like, this office is great to have at home. But it is suffering from this problem of like, it's not clear to my brain, what am I supposed to be doing right now in this space? It's never clear because I do almost absolutely everything. So my idea with trying to rent out uh, an office space in London, if I can do it, is I'm going to try very hard to only have writing and talking out loud happen in that room, right? That it's like, I'm going to go into this room I'm going to do this particular activity, and if I'm not doing this particular activity, I'm going to leave. Right? I'm going to, like, I want my brain to learn that this happens here. And then that, that has like a little bit more of a separation where it's like, okay, then my home office becomes much more of a podcast recording and editing place. But I'm not even going to try to write in my home office. I'm going to try to always do it in a particular place. I'm convinced that this is very helpful, but I'm I'm curious to try to be much more conscious about this going forward. To have like locations and routines associated with particular kinds of work. So I never, for example, want to bring all of my tax paperwork and do like do all of that stuff in the same place that I want to be the place where I do writing. I'm gonna try to keep things much more separate going going forward from here on out. You know what makes it worse? What? When your office is also your bedroom. Well, yeah. As I was discussing about this, I was thinking about you, Mike. Yeah. Who? Yeah. Do you want to tell the people why you were thinking about that, Gray? Yeah, because we actually had our first FaceTime chat ever last oh, night. God. <laughs> so Gray needs to call me for something. And instead of calling me on with audio like people do... I see CGP Grey is calling. I press the answer button and then up he pops and he can see my bedroom. <laughs> I didn't want you in my bedroom, Grey. Well, you know, you let me in. You press the accept button. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't wait to change this. Like, you know, and, and I understand the idea of like having the home office brings those problems, but I'm really looking forward to sleeping in a different room that my yeah. desk is in 
Oh yeah, don't don't get me wrong. Like the home office problem, this is way better than having a single room in which you do literally everything. Having your podcasting studio also be your bedroom is is frustrating. It's it's frustrating. Um, but you didn't make your bed when I called. I was surprised. There was just unmade bed in the background. Don't tell people my secrets. <laughs> that you don't make your bed. <laughs> I'm sure nobody else does that. <laughs> Just as a, as a quick piece of evidence that I think favors this theory is going back to what you refer to as the spider dungeon. Oh, yeah, the spider dungeon. The original place where I started my YouTube career. I think that that is great evidence for this because like that environment was horrible, but it had the key feature that my brain learned. Like when you are in the basement, you are writing. And this is the only activity that we do down here because it's a horrible place and we don't want to stay. But it's also the only place where I could be on my own and talk out loud and not disturb you know, my wife or neighbors or anybody else or anything. So I feel like I lucked out in my early career by doing that kind of behavior. Train your brain to associate this work with this place and... In the past couple of years, I haven't been doing that so much. There's been a lot of bleeding over of edges and boundaries. And so I think I'm going to attempt to reinstitute that as a, as a lesson that I have learned from my most recent trip in Amsterdam. I don't know, Mike, how well I've been explaining this stuff. I have this feeling as a result of the end of this trip that is difficult to articulate. And the you know, only analogy that I can make is <laughs> I have... I have heard from people who do psychedelic substances. They have a feeling that sticks with them long after doing psychedelic substances that they find difficult to articulate, but that nonetheless is a positive experience that they find influences their future behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Amsterdam, this trip was like for me. In the most boring work way possible, I feel like I've had some kind of business psychedelic experience that is impossible to explain to outsiders, but is nonetheless positive and is affecting my future decisions. So in summary, you went to Amsterdam, you had a psychedelic experience, and now you're going to get an office. Yeah. Okay. The end. Today's episode of Cortex is ever so kindly brought to you by Smile, and today I want to talk to you about PDF Pen, your Swiss army knife for working with, dealing with, and taking control of PDFs. So with PDF Pen, you will have all of the basics covered. If you need to fill in and sign a form, maybe you need to make edits, highlight something, redact something, maybe OCR something so you can get the text from a PDF to use in other apps. You've got all of that taken care of. But you will be like a wizard of PDFs when you use word export, page numbering, Bates numbering, and so much more. PDF Pen has got it all. And with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone, you'll be able to take control of contracts and forms no matter where you are. This is something I do all the time. I maybe I'm working in my co-working space or maybe I'm just sitting on the sofa and I get a contract come through through my email. I can open it in, on iOS using a lovely PDF Pen. I sign it with my Apple Pencil that I hold so dear as you all know by now and send it straight off to the person that I need to send it to. And it's done so easily with PDF Pen. I can even add my name, you know, type in that sort of stuff and add some fields in, put the date in. It's all so, so 
simple. If you're the type of person that enjoys a paperless office, PDF Pen is for you. No more printing, scanning, and faxing. When I get those contracts, I'm not hooking up my iPad to a printer and then trying to take a picture of it to scan it in. I don't need to do any of that. You can just fill in and sign with PDF Pen and you'll be on your way. Smile also offers some great tutorials from the very talented Mr. David Sparks, also known as Max Sparky, host of Mac Power Users on Real FM. These short videos will teach you everything that you need to know about PDF Pen 7 to get up and running and ready to go in a flash. You can learn all about PDF Pen over at smilesoftware.com slash cortex. PDF Pen 7 and PDF Pen Pro 7 require Yosemite and work beautifully on El Capitan. PDF Pen for iOS is available from the App Store. I would like to thank Smile and PDF Pen for sponsoring this week's episode of Cortex and helping us out at Relay FM. There's been another beta, Mike. Yeah, it came out on like, I think the day we released our last episode. Yeah. So yeah. I was in this weird feeling where as much as I want Ample Pencil support to, to come back to us in the way that we wish, when that came out, I was a little bit like, man, if they put it back in today, <laughs> Apple's ruined the show. <laughs> I, was in a, I was in a real quandary, Gray, about that. Do I want it back enough that yeah, I'm happy for the show to be completely outdated within hours? The answer is yes, Mike. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know you felt... You felt in a, some sort of conflict about this because of your businessman tendencies. But I, I couldn't have cared less. I wanted that. I wanted the pencil support back the way it's supposed to be immediately. And I would have gladly immolated the show that we had just released hours before in order to have that. But you still have your wish here, Mike, because I'm going to talk about the Apple Pencil some more because... Nothing, nothing has changed. Actually, that's not strictly true because I have had several independent, unrelated sources in the know confirm to me what was simply a fear last time that removing the functionality of the Apple Pencil is a decision inside of Apple. It is not a bug that they have overlooked for three betas. It is a decision. And I obviously think it is an absolutely disastrous decision. But it seems like this is something that Apple wants to do differently. And I would like to take another swing at trying to convince them to not do this differently. Yeah, I would also like that. So we we can carry on on this route. <laughs> It has been frustrating to hear this from a few different corners of people saying that that this this is something that Apple wants to do. Have you been invited to Cupertino for your secret meeting yet? I have not been invited to Cupertino. I am <laughs> I am waiting. Just check your spam folder. <laughs> That's not in my spam folder. <laughs> if you are at Apple and would like to invite me to Cupertino, uh, please use the contact form on my website so that my personal <laughs> assistant can find that and bring it to my attention because I'm terrible at email and I would really hate to see an email from tim at apple.com three months from now when i actually go through all of my public email okay, it could be in there you don't even know no it's, it, it can't be in there but maybe i should search for at apple.com after this podcast <laughs> so here's the here's the thing here's the thing right so so i think this is a terrible decision but i have been given some indications from people that they're like oh but don't worry apple has amazing stuff planned for the pencil yeah and as we tried to discuss last time I don't care at all about the amazing stuff that they have planned. 
but but trying to think it through. So like here here is my imagining of what is going on in Apple. So it's like okay, what do you want the pencil to be able to do that you can't do if the pencil can scroll a Safari web page or turn a page in a book or slide over in a share sheet? Like what like what is on their mind? And my best guess at this is that Apple's idea is they want people to be able to mark up whatever they are looking at. Yeah, this this has been a very popular theory in the Reddit thread as well. The, the, the thing that really makes me sad about this is it seems to me like the perfect kind of thing that makes a great demo on stage. Like I can see someone who's thinking about demoing new features on stage, loving the idea of pulling up a website circling something on that website and then being able to send like a picture of the screen with the circle on the page to their friend or whatever. It just seems like a great tech demo that someone would love to do despite like the actual usefulness of that. Like how much is someone going to do that in the same way that I think of those little, um, all of those demos about, oh, you're going to be able to draw a tiny flower on your watch that you will then send to someone you like. Mm, I don't think there's a lot of people out there who are still using the drawing features on their watch. Great tech demo, actually not so useful in real life. So I think this is what the utility of the Apple Pencil is being sacrificed for. And I don't think that's a good trade-off. Here's what I've been thinking about. The iPad Pro is being sold as a professional tool. And when I think about what does that mean, professionals need tools that are more precise than just using their meaty monkey hands on a screen. I think for any kind of professional work that someone does, you need a precision pointing device. And so for example, I think of I think of the Mac. And so on the Mac, in my own work, I do animating, I work with audio, I work with video. I do all the kinds of stuff that Apple in their commercials just like loves to see people doing on their machines. Oh, look at this creative work. Like this writer uses it and he draws stuff and he makes videos. To do all of those things, you need if you're going to do it professionally, a professional tool. If, for example, Apple decided that only trackpads were allowed on the Mac, that would be a horrible experience for almost any professional. Like, I dare you to go to Pixar, for example, and take away all of their Wacom tablets and hand them trackpads and say, oh, but look, you can paint with your fingers on this trackpad on the screen. Isn't that great? It's a one-to-one experience. You're able to touch this thing and you make it make a line on the screen. It's like, no, listen, for professional work, you need professional tools and those tools need to be precise. Now, a trackpad, much like iOS, is for a normal user, a much more intuitive experience because it is a direct one-to-one relationship. Like you move your hand on, on the trackpad and the thing moves on the screen or you do gestures and stuff. People love trackpads, but professionals need better tools. And so when I look at the iPad, the whole of the iPad is already a trackpad. <laughs> like the whole freaking screen is the trackpad. 
And now, if you want to have something that you are selling to professionals, that you want professionals to use, you need additional tools for the future of the platform. You need a precision pointing device. And Apple has made that very precision pointing device. It works today, right now. I think one of the things to point out at this point, which I think is a really important distinction, mm-hmm. is like when you're saying about professionals doing professional work, let's imagine that part of what you're talking about here is animating, right? Mm-hmm. You do the animations with the pencil, and that works even with the 9.3 beta restriction. But the problem is, if you want to change tools, if you want to scroll through a list of tools, you have to mode shift. You have to put the yeah. pencil away. You have to use your finger. That friction is enough to make you not want to use it. That is exactly the thing. I am thinking about something like uh, a podcasting tool in the future on, on uh, iPad Pro. Right? This is something that like, I know there are some now, but I'm trying to think about the future of these tools. And so if you were, say, editing a podcast on an iPad Pro... I can easily see a situation that kind of like maps the very Wacom tablet that we we were talking about a couple shows ago now onto the screen where you could say like do gestures with one hand and you can be doing precision pointing and and cutting with the pencil in the other hand. Without a doubt, with professional level tools, you constantly need to shift stuff, right? It's not going to be a basic painting app if you're using a vector drawing tool. It's not going to be something like GarageBand if you want to have a professional audio tool on an iPad Pro. And you're not going to be able to have something like iMovie be usable for for professionals on an iPad Pro. You need much more in-depth tools. And you know what much more in-depth tools require? Lots of menus, lots of sub-menus, lots of lists that you scroll through, switching things all of the time. And, And... If Apple says you can't use the pencil, like this professional tool to navigate the interface fully, I think it limits the way these things can be made. Like it just, it makes them so much more frustrating. Like it's frustrating on both ends. Like it's frustrating if someone is say trying to design a professional drawing app for the iPad Pro and then thinking, oh, right, but I, I shouldn't make any of these lists long because if someone has the pencil in their hand, they're not going to be able to scroll with it. And it's also frustrating, like you said, because it makes someone who is a professional like kind of not want to just use the pencil all the time as this tool if you constantly have to mode shift back and forth. Who does Apple think this is for? Like if the pencil is just for drawing and just for basic markup like okay the ipad pro is already a niche apple product the pencil within that is a niche within a niche but i think like the ipad pro with the pencil as it is today apple's market there is every artist or everyone who works on a computer that uses a wacom tablet right like that is no small market But if they then say like, oh, okay, the pencil can only be used in markup. It can't be used in the interface. It's like, okay, well, anybody who uses pen tablets professionally, that's not an attractive option. Like that's a pointlessly frustrating option. I don't know. I just, I see so much potential in the iPad Pro for the future with the addition of this precision pointing tool. 
And it seems insane to me to limit that future, like to limit what people can do because you have an idea of how you want people to use it. And there was a, like there was a link about Johnny Ive a while ago talking about the pencil and, and how he thinks about it. And it's pretty clear from this interview that like Johnny Ive in his mind has the thing that we mentioned last time that he imagines people are just going to use the pencil to draw pretty pictures and he doesn't want it to be confused for a useful tool for professionals on a device called the iPad Pro. Let me read a quote to you. This was sent in to us uh, via a listener with the name of Matt. Uh, I think there's a potential to confuse the role of the pencil with the role of your finger in iOS. And I actually think it's very clear the pencil is for making marks. And the finger is a fundamental point of interface for everything within the operating system. And those are two very different activities with two very different goals. That is directly from Johnny Ive. I understand what he's saying, but... He's wrong. <laughs> like, I, I get what he's trying to set out to do. I can completely understand that argument, that there is some level of simplicity to the idea that your fingers navigate the interface and the pencil is for making marks. I can understand where he is coming from. I just think that's so limiting. Do you know the problem with it? What? Didn't ship that way. Apple gave us a taste of what, we now feel is the is the perfect solution, which is the pencil operates everything. If it right. shipped the way it's currently in the 9.3 beta, if it shipped the way that Johnny I've clearly set out to make it happen, we wouldn't be upset right now. I would still be pretty upset if the pencil couldn't navigate the interface. You would You would think, oh, I would like it if it could do that, but you wouldn't know what you're missing. I wouldn't feel how I feel now, which is that Almost like I have been personally burned by Apple. Apple handed me the most amazing, perfect tool for the future of my work and the future of many other people's work, and they took it away. It's, it's this line here where he says, the finger is the fundamental point of interface for everything in the operating system. That, to me, is the worrying part. A, a vision of iOS for the rest of the time that requires you to always be pressing just your fingers and only your fingers against the screen. Fingers are a great way into a platform, right? Like clearly the success of the iPhone was in no small part due to the fact that people could just touch the buttons on the screen with their hands, right? Like no doubt about that. But to then to then say like for iOS, for now these huge iOS screens that they're building, like that this device, the interface, can only and forever be navigated with human meaty fingers and cannot be interacted with using other tools. I just think that is a deep, deep mistake to make. It is the same to me as just saying, on a Mac, if only touchpads could be used to interact with the interface. You can't use keyboard shortcuts, right? You couldn't use anything else. Like that's the same level of decision here. And that's also the thing that I find frustrating, especially with the Pro, because it's like, oh, okay. You think that the finger is the fundamental point of interface for the system. Uh, why then can I press command space on the iPad Pro and bring up Spotlight and start typing in Spotlight? That's not using my finger for the interface. Why do you have command tab on, on the iPad Pro, allowing me to access the task switcher without touching the screen? Gee, could it be 
that these are features that the vast majority of users never touch, never even know exist, but that for professional users are vital every single day. Maybe that's the same thing with keyboard shortcuts. Like I, I would bet for anything, Apple knows on the Mac where they have data about this, that like 0.01% of users ever use any keyboard shortcuts. Right? Like when I see normal people using computers, they never use keyboard shortcuts. But you know what? You still build them in because they're vital for professional users. So the whole idea of like, okay, Apple has this iPad Pro. They've put in keyboard shortcuts. They put in all of this keyboard stuff to work with the interface without having to touch the screen. Like that goes against Johnny Ives' design principle as stated in this quote here. It's like, come on, you know this can't really be the only way to interact with the interface. Give people more tools to work with your systems. That's that's all I want. Just put it back. All right. And everyone will be happy. It's not hurting anyone. Exactly. I have been hearing from people who are in my position as well, like, this is actually a health issue. Like, I do really think, Apple, like you are hurting people by not keeping the way it is in the pre-beta state. Like, I've been hearing from people with RSI issues who've been saying the same thing about like, oh my God, the pencil makes a huge difference in working on iOS. Like, this is a big deal for me. And I've heard from people who just have mobility difficulties with their hands, like the pencil and being able to navigate the interface. This is way better and way more comfortable for me than having to use my hands. You're all really smart people. If part of what you want to do is just make iOS markupable, you can find a way to do it. Yeah. Put a button in the share sheet. Like, yeah. you can do this. <laughs> If you want to make everywhere markupable, there are already ways to do that right now. Like you said, taking screenshots and working on them in other editors. It's not super elegant, but it's possible. Oh, but like you can find a better way. Like you have the ability, you build the operating system. You can find a better way than that to, to make this work. Yeah, two seconds worth of thought. You can have a button that you press in control center, which then toggles the screen to be markupable. Kapow, job done. And there's so much space in Control Center on the iPad Pro. Yeah, I know. Right? We're, not, we're not short on real estate there. Right? There's plenty of space. You can add it right next to your creepy always watching me eye icon that you now have in there, right? Like, it's always watching you. Hello. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> so that's why it's additionally frustrating. It's like there are other ways to mark up the screen if that's what you want to do. And if people really want to do that, you can make things for that. But you're taking away the only way to do something else which is to precisely work with the interface look if there's one thing that i've learned over the years of, of following apple is that they they are willing to and they have done changed back the changes they make yeah i think the classic example of this is the ios 7 changeover when they had the ridiculously thin and light text the first time around. Yeah. And when they were running that beta program, I think they quite wisely realized, okay, we've gone too far in this direction of we have an ideal that we want. Did they go from Helvetica Noid to just Helvetica, right? Like they went from the super thin Helvetica to a little bit thicker. But it was it was enough of a difference that it, it made the difference, right? Yeah. Where it's like, it was still thin, but it wasn't crazy thin. Yeah. So, so th this is also, this is still just my hope that within Apple, 
while this is still in beta, this is a thing that they will reverse on. And I've been just trying to make the case as best I can. We are using our political platform. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? On the side of keeping the pencil the way it is, leaves it a professional tool in a device that is marketed for professionals. It is beneficial for the mitigation and avoidance of repetitive strain injury. It is beneficial for people who have difficulty with their hands. It is a thing that you should leave in. It is just, frankly, pleasant to use the operating system with the pencil if you are used to using a Wacom tablet, which is almost certainly the very market that you want to sway with with this exact product. Or you could be able to draw on the screen at any time, which is a thing that you can have other solutions for. Everybody that needs to do that, to do markup in iOS, already knows how to do it and does it. The people that need that and would buy the Apple Pencil to do that already do it. Exactly. I don't know who this market is because that is exactly the kind of thing that is for a casual user, not the kind of person who's probably buying an iPad Pro and a pencil. Yeah. But I will stress, though, that we don't know that that's what they want to do. We don't know what it could be, right? Like, there could be something that, you know, which is happens with Apple, things that me and you aren't perceiving as the things that they want to do with it, right? Like, we need to appreciate that that is a fact, that there could be things that they want to do which are really cool, but we don't see what they are. Yeah, this is this is our best guess. Yeah. But I, I still say that, like... It fundamentally it, doesn't matter, though. Yeah, yeah it, it's hard to imagine what a different thing is, but... As I, I have expressed to you in, in very certain terms in private, but like I will, I will again say in, in nicer terms now, I don't care at all what it is. Whatever feature they're developing, there's no argument, I think, against the accessibility argument. But if, you, if you want to limit accessibility, I really don't care what the additional feature is. And as I said, I just, I'm still worried that I'm going to find myself in this horrible position of having to choose between Am I going to jailbreak a device and compromise digital security or am I going to be damaging my hands over the long run doing the very thing that Apple would want me to do, which is going super all in on their new device? So that's uh, that's where we are. Apple, please do your do your old pal Gray a favor here. <laughs> Do, do the, the right, right thing. thing. <laughs> Great Hurley 2016. Uh, yeah. This message has been paid for by the Apple Pencil community. Vote stylus. <laughs> I want to take a moment to talk about a new sponsor for this show, and that is Ministry of Supply. Think about it. In 2016, clothing should be smarter. We've got all this wearable technology and all these newfangled things coming out, but the clothing that we wear every day... They don't adapt to us. We're on the go all the time. You know, these things need to be thought about as a body in motion. We want to feel comfortable in our clothes. They should be designed to work with us rather than against us. And that is what drives Ministry of Supply, a performance professional menswear company who launched out of MIT four years ago. They make polished business clothes that are engineered to provide technical benefits like sweat-wicking fibers to keep you dry, stretchable fabric to allow you to move more freely, and body temperature regulation to keep you from getting too hot or too cold. That stuff, 
that body temperature stuff? That is the same equipment, that is the same technology that NASA developed to keep astronauts cool in space. And you will find this along with those moisture-wicking fibers and light-knit construction for breathability in Ministry of Supply's most tech-forward dress shirt, the Apollo. This thing is insane. It is so cool. All of this amazing technology is built right into these brilliant clothes that look great and feel great. And one of my favorite things about Ministry of Supply is that you do not need to iron their clothes. They are easy to maintain. They are wrinkle resistant. You can wash and dry them at home. Ministry of Supply were kind enough to send me some of their stuff and I am thrilled of it. I got sent a great shirt and a jumper as well. And the jumper or a sweater, as you may call, depending on where you are in the world, has all these little holes in the back, which look like a fantastic pattern. Then you realize they're actually there to help keep you cool. I love this stuff. And I remember going to work in suits and sweating constantly. I needed Ministry of Supply then, and it's awesome that they're around now. You can find out more on shop online at ministryofsupply.com slash Cortex. And if you use the code Cortex, you will get 15% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Once again, that URL is ministryofsupply.com slash Cortex. But Ministry of Supply do have their own physical stores. And if you are local to one and want to shop in person, all you need to do is just mention this podcast and you'll get 15% off your purchase in the physical store, which blows my mind. Thank you so much to Ministry of Supply for their support of this show and Relay FM. I want to uh, revisit something that we discussed on an earlier episode. And that is the YouTube channel Grade A Under A. Do you remember me mentioning this a long time ago, Mike? I don't know if you will. Yeah, is this the one where the animation is, like, really rough? <laughs> yeah, rough is generous. I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to, you know, like, dump on this person. We had a conversation. I was just looking up the uh, show here, and this was back on September 7th, episode number 12, called The Rule of Two. Ah, uh, Classic. Can it be classic if we're... What is, what is this episode? Is this 22? Is this 23? Yeah, what are we doing? it's long enough. It's <laughs> okay. last year. <laughs> it's 50% of the way ago. That can be a classic episode. We were right. selling t-shirts then. That tells you how long ago it was. Oh, were we? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in that episode, we discussed a little bit of a thing that just always kind of infuriates me, which is this, this meme on YouTube that I have been hearing for forever and people always say about how like it's impossible to start a YouTube career nowadays because there's too much competition and it's all big channels. And we talk about it there. I lay out my thoughts about why this is nonsense. I, I violently disagree with this position. And uh, I happen to mention a channel that I was just barely aware of then, which was Grade A Under A, which was brought to my attention by one of the uh, listeners to the show. And I used him as an example of a channel that, one, didn't have high production values, but that, two, didn't matter because he was producing stuff that was just great. Like, his videos are funny and they are insightful. And at that point in time, he had just under 100,000 subscribers. I think in the show, I I said he had like 90,000 subscribers. I've just taken a look at the page. Right. And what does he have now, Mike? He has a million subscribers. He has a million subscribers. And all of his videos are like over a million views. 
Right. Again, doing that thing that I just don't understand. These numbers aren't like any other numbers. <laughs> right. <laughs> the YouTube system is is strange, but uh, I wanted to. I'm visiting this follow up in no small part uh, because I wanted to just point out that like I was right uh, because in that episode I said like he to me struck me as a person who was on the cusp of doing this professionally that he was like just about to become big and be able to do this 100% of the time and now as we are recording this episode in February he is doing that like he does this for a living now he makes these videos and he is very successful. And so I think grade A under A is now my most recent go-to example to try to argue against this insane idea that somehow, even though YouTube is more popular than it has ever been, that it is impossible for new channels to get noticed. Like you just, no one can break into this environment. Like it's not true. Like look at this guy, he made a thing that people liked and in the space of several months he 10x'd his audience i think he's just a great example of this and as far as i can tell again i don't know this person i've just seen this from the outside but i think he's just one person making these videos like that's the impression that i get like it's just him that's what he says on his uh videos so i have no reason to to doubt him so it's like it's totally possible it's just a question of making something that people like it's not a question of can you compete with the production values of huge media companies so again i will emphatically encourage anyone who is listening to this show who is thinking oh i would like to start a youtube channel but everything is done already and i can't make high quality videos and there's all these big media companies out there to compete with it's not relevant. Start something today. Try to make videos that people will like. And if you are successful in that, you will find success on YouTube. It is almost impossible not to. Great A under A. It's so interesting. Yeah? What's so interesting? In that discussion that we originally had on that, that, that episode, I believe it was in that episode, we spoke about... Um, the idea that really kind of what you need is the thing. And that thing is the thing that people have or they don't have. And it's really difficult to know what it is. And it's really difficult sometimes to know if you or somebody else has it. But we used uh, MKBHD as the example of that. And how he, even in his very first video, talking about a TiVo or something. Yeah, where he's 12. <laughs> you can tell he has a thing. And like you watch it and you can see, you know what? This is just a younger version of the guy who has 3 million YouTube subscribers. Right. You watch it and you're like, yeah, this is this is Marques. Like, this is him. Right. He's not fully grown yet, but it's there. Like, you can, you can see that. And, you know, he's developed a style over time and he's gotten much better over time. And he's also gotten much older over time. But it's, it's yeah, it's definitely the case that, like, he has a way of explaining things that's very clear to people, and people like that, and they respond to that. I'll give another example, actually, of this kind of thing that I think is interesting for people to watch. And it is, uh, it, it is the YouTube channel uh, Your Movie Sucks, uh, which is made by a guy named Adam. 
and he to me is a is a very interesting example of someone starting a thing and having something right from the beginning but then also clearly developing his own style so mike are you familiar with the red letter media star wars reviews please say yes yeah okay good yeah i haven't watched them but i know about them okay you know you know about their existence yeah listeners you know, i talk about them all the time because i think they are brilliant uh, but they are these review of the star wars movies that are done in this very particular style that is striking it's it's unique it is impossible uh not to notice so this guy adam who started the your movie sucks youtube channel i think it is a worthwhile endeavor for anybody who's thinking about doing a youtube career to go back and watch like his first 20 videos in order because they are the clearest example i have ever seen of someone very clearly and explicitly in his own videos saying he is copying the style of red letter media like his first few reviews are the exact same style he is saying that but even when you watch them you can see like oh but there's this guy has something here which is his and if you watch those first 20 videos in order you can see someone go from imitating a style which is a great way to start learning how to do a thing and then develop into his own style and become a successful person like that like that to me is the key like it's totally fine to start with somebody else's style but like you need to develop your own thing and his is the best example i have ever seen of that where it's just so clear to watch each video, he is a little less red letter media and he is a little more himself until now his modern videos where it's like it is just entirely his style. There's there's nothing anymore of, of the red letter media influence that was there in the beginning. And it's just very interesting to see. And it happens over a short enough period of time that you can watch it in an afternoon unfold. In a kind of similar way, not exactly, but similar, like you can look at something like this podcast. And if you listen to episode one, it's different in feel and style to what we're doing now i think yeah yeah because without a doubt we found our groove together for the show and we you know felt what the show was about and it kind of has morphed over time you know anybody that that has paid real close attention will see that like we changed the description of the show right, right to kind of fit a little bit more as to what it was that me and you decided we wanted to talk about every week mm-hmm like that, that, this is a very normal thing, I think, in creative endeavors like this. And it, hap- it most of the shows that I have done change in some way over time. They morph into something a little bit different as the people working together find their groove a little bit more. And I think that's exactly the same thing that you see with some of these channels. And it, what you're pointing out here with the Your Movie Sucks is it just took him a little while to find out what he liked, to respond to the the, the feedback that he received and, and to the criticisms that he received and, and kind of morphed it a little bit from there. That is the creative process. Yeah, without a doubt. Like, and, and yeah, this show is definitely an example of that. Like, If you listen to the earlier shows and you listen to the shows now, they're different. It's almost hard for me to say precisely what's different. Like, They were sort of more interviews in the beginning, but yeah. not really exactly. But something changes over time and it, it becomes its own thing. And yes, everyone should keep that in mind. That, that is totally a natural part of the creative process. It's, it's a vital part. And the only way that you can really find the thing that you want to do and do it the way that you want to do it 
is to do something. Yeah, exactly. Is is to start. <laughs> Just get started. Get started with that uh, ASMR video, also discussed in that previous episode, that you want to make, right? And 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 then develop your own style in the ASMR world. Whatever it is you want to do, like even if you think that the field is crowded. If you can develop your own style, there is always room for more good content. That's why there's always room on YouTube for more good channels. Even if you're just rubbing a hairbrush against your face. You just have to do it well. <laughs> it's got to be a nice hairbrush. <laughs> I don't know what they like, but you got to figure out what they like. Someone's <laughs> going to like it, right? You know. Yeah. That's what happens when you have billions of people watching YouTube. How niche is it? It's never niche enough. <laughs> In the theme of addressing things that happened months and months and months ago. Oh, yeah. Have you finally played with that Steam controller that you got? <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> this is this has been sitting in the document for forever in our months. <laughs> uh, I, I basically, listeners, to peel back the curtain a little bit, uh, I put it in the document. I say, follow up, Steam controller. Have you tried it yet? And for many many months, there was a little box. Well, there was a little word next to it that Gray had put in there that just said no. And every time I'd bring it into the document, and it never changed. And then this week, it changed to yes. <laughs> You noticed that it changed to yes this week, but I uh, I changed it to yes after I put up the Antarctica video. That was the uh, first time I had a chance to play around with the Steam okay. controller. So I thought, yeah, it's been sitting here for months. I felt kind of bad, like, oh, I bought this piece of hardware and I never tried it out. Um, but yes, in the video game section of the podcast, I have tried out the Steam controller. Uh, and also this connects to me because it's the RSI concern of the podcast which is I like to switch input devices and I mentioned I had gotten this thing because I was concerned about using my keyboard and the pen or using a mouse for games as well as for just regular working stuff so I wanted something different I was pretty doubtful about the steam controller but I thought oh what the hell let me give it a shot and I decided when I was going to try it that I was going to try it under the worst possible case which is playing a game called Factorio, which I love, which I have mentioned many times, but is a game that it just involves an infinite number of mouse clicks and sub windows and right clicks. It, you know, it's one of these kind of games. Like you're just managing something. So it's all about ticking boxes and window management and all kinds of stuff. So it's a really difficult game to do with any kind of controller. It's, it's obviously designed for a mouse. And also it's not inside of Steam at all. Like, it's it's not within their little network, at least at the time that I played it. So I thought, oh, this will be a great way to try to test this controller, because this is the worst possible scenario. And the bottom line is the Steam controller, I am a huge fan of this thing. <laughs> I, I was so impressed with the way it works under the least optimal case that it is, it's just amazing. I really like it. It's a weird, weird controller. Because it has touch pads, right? Instead of any analog sticks. Okay, yeah. So um, I have it. I have it in front of me right now. So it it has in the center one analog stick for your left thumb, and then the standard like X Y A B buttons for your right thumb. But immediately above it, there are two touch pads, and it's those touch pads that seem crazy but totally work for all the kinds of games that are going to be in the steam library and also are the kind of things that i like to play so 
again, work simulator kind of games that have lots of windows and lots of submenus and boxes to tick and all this kind of stuff. It allows you to, with your uh, right thumb, essentially operate a trackpad and move the cursor around on screen in a really natural way. Like you can adjust what the sensitivity is so that you can, with just very slight thumb movements, move the pointer back and forth across the entirety of the screen. You can do all kinds of crazy things like there's triggers on the bottom that you can have to be modifier keys so it's really easy to do something like left click or right click. The whole thing is super customizable. Everything you can change to work any way that you want which is absolutely, absolutely vital. Like even, even those touchpads, you can have them work like they're a touchpad, but you can also change it to just pretend that it's a basic D-pad so that there's only four inputs depending on where your thumb is, or you can change it to work like a joystick. It's amazing to me how well it works. And to be able to do something like move the game pointer around with one thumb while zooming in and out on the map with the other thumb with the two touchpads just feels like magic. I can't believe how well it works. So I was extremely doubtful, but for anyone who plays games on a computer, I can I can highly recommend it. Like this gets the CGP Grey seal of approval. And it is really beneficial to me to be able to switch to this for game playing instead of using the same tools all the time. So it's like, yes, RSI, helps mitigate it. Uh, I I really like it, even though I was extremely doubtful about it. Huh. You sound doubtful still. No, now I'm interested. But you're a console peasant, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah, sure. I don't think I play enough PC games because everything tends to be uh, underpowered and pointless on a PC. What are you talking uh, about? I have n- nothing, you're nothing. Just, yeah, you're just nothing making really. pointless claims there. Pointless it is well. I do find it really interesting that for you to have a uh, superior PC gaming experience, you've had to turn to a controller. That is, that is really interesting to me. I would, I would honestly prefer to use a mouse and keyboard all the time for all of my gaming, and I would do it were it not for my hand issues. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like I, I think it is for the kind of games that I like. It's impossible straight up to beat a mouse and a keyboard. You're just not going to do it. But this is a very comfortable, very close experience that doesn't strain my hands in the in the usual way. Yeah, it is a weird looking thing though. It's super weird looking. I was even, even I'm just holding it in my hands right now and I was really doubtful about the way like the handles really curve up into the palm of your hands in a way that looks dumb. Like it almost looks like the whole controller is too low, but again, using it for long periods of time, you can see why they have it uh, set up that way because it's very comfortable then to have your thumbs on on the track pads. And then their triggers are they on the back of the hand, the palm rests? The uh, big, yeah, there the are big triggers. Yeah, there are two triggers that are on each side directly underneath your index finger, and there's two like grippable triggers that are on the bottom that you can trigger with your middle and ring fingers. So there's tons of buttons, and again, you can set them to be anything that you want, which is really great. Have you played any other games with this? Oh yeah, I actually I was trying out a whole bunch of stuff in my library just to see how it worked. So I was trying uh, City Skylines. I tried um, actually tried Half Life Two is uh, in my Steam library. That was probably the trickiest one to use with the controller, which is interesting because of course you normally think about lots of first person shooters as <laughs> being would, controller based. In theory, that should be the the one that makes the most sense. Yeah, that one was the one that I found the trickiest, but that might have also just been that I'm so used to playing those games with with mouse and and 
keys. Like it's wired into my brain right, from right, hundreds right, right. and hundreds of hours of Quake 3 on computer lands in college that it's just like my brain does not like doing it that way. Um, but yeah, so I, I tried all of the different kind of stuff in my library and it worked very well with all of the games, even if they weren't designed to work with a controller at all. So super impressed. I was thinking uh, a couple of days ago of trying to uh, connect a PlayStation 4 controller to my PC to try uh, American Truck Simulator. Oh, Mike. Mike, don't mention it because I'm so tempted right now. I cannot believe this is the life that I am living. But I've been seeing people on Twitter tell me, oh, American Truck Simulator is, is out. And it's like, okay, I have several big video projects that are coming to a close quite shortly. I feel like I cannot wait to have these done, mainly because I cannot wait to play American Truck Simulator. I am dying to give this a try. <laughs> yeah, it looks really good. It looks beautiful. It does, doesn't it? The problem is it doesn't look as good on a Mac. Apparently there's some like graphic card issues that like it looks much better <sighs> on a on a Windows PC than it ever looks on a Mac. But like it's the same thing with Euro Truck Simulator. Like Euro Truck Simulator on a Mac doesn't look super great as compared to a Windows PC. No, it doesn't look so good. Yeah, but nonetheless, like I am, I cannot believe I am now the guy who's like, I can't wait to try my Truck Simulator game. <laughs> but it really is true. It's like, man, as soon as I get those videos out, I am going to drive up and down California and listen to some podcasts and it will be gloriously relaxing. I'm very tempted to give American Truck Simulator a go. Euro Truck Simulator doesn't really work for me. I don't like playing on the keyboard. I just don't like it. It doesn't work for me. No, it's terrible on the keyboard. It's terrible on the keyboard. You didn't get a wheel, did you? Don't you remember, Mike? I only didn't get a wheel because I couldn't sort out any of the Mac configurability issues. Yeah, I wasn't sure though if you maybe ended up getting one in the end. Like I don't know, I, we didn't ever come to a resolution from it. <laughs> no, I don't have a wheel. My recommendation for American Truck Simulator was a trackball, or sorry, well, for Euro Truck Simulator. Uh, I like a trackball a lot for that. I found it very comfortable. And I did, I did play around with the Steam controller, and that's pretty good. I haven't quite figured out in the Euro Truck when I was just playing around with Steam controller of precisely how I wanted it to work because there's a lot of different options. Yeah. But the keyboard, keyboard is the worst. Don't use a keyboard with it. It's miserable to play with a keyboard. I'm, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna see if I can get get the PlayStation controller working the way that I want because I'm looking at it right now and. It looks so much nicer. I like the idea of driving across America more. There's a Golden Gate Bridge, Las Vegas. Seems more exciting to me. I really wish they did proper two-player. Like I know there's like a mod for Euro Truck for multiplayer. Yeah. I'd love to go driving with you somewhere. It'd be yeah. nice. But we wouldn't really be driving. But we could honk our horns and stuff, you know. Yeah, but just <laughs> this is just like this is just like you wanted to rent an office with me. The, the whole the whole thing that I like about dri- driving my imaginary truck across the highway is driving it alone. Yeah, but we'll be we could race, you know. Driving it alone, a man on the highway by himself. It's Zen. 